Okay, welcome to The Legal Hour presented by GetLegal.com. My name is Andrea Aguilar. I'm an, the Managing Immigration Attorney for Bailey & Gallion. And uh, we're here today to answer your immigration questions. Uh, también hablamos español, entonces si habla español, um, no tenga pena en um, mandarnos una pregunta. Um, I'm here with my colleague, Patricia Barbie. She's a board-certified immigration attorney as well who works for Bailey & Gallion. So before we get started, while we're kind of giving people time to join us on the live broadcast, we're just going to introduce ourselves a little bit. And since I've been talking, I'm going to let um, <laughs> Patricia introduce herself. All right. I am a native Texan. I'm from the Rio Grande Valley down in South Texas, McAllen to be exact. I've been practicing immigration law exclusively for 11 years. I am board certified. I do speak Spanish. Um, which really comes in helpful with my my consultations, um, and I feel completely at ease in Spanish or English. I, my Spanish may not be perfect, but I think you can understand me, and I definitely think I can understand you, so please call. <laughs> and my name is Andrea Aguilar. As I said, I'm the managing attorney for the Immigration Department at Bailey & Gallion. I've been practicing immigration law for eight years, and I'm passionate about immigration law. I first became interested in it when I was abroad in Honduras. I lived there for two years, and I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but living in Honduras, I was able to see kind of the face of immigration, and that's what made me say, okay, I'm going to study immigration law. That's why I'm going to law school. So we're very excited to be here to answer your questions. Um, I think I'm going to need some help on getting the questions up here so we can see any that are coming in. Um, let me see. Okay, Carl, can you help pull up the question? All right. Okay, so we are ready for your questions. Let's see here. We've got people joining here. So as you guys know, immigration has been a hot topic. I feel like we've been running around like chickens with our heads cut off lately with everything that's in the news. We're getting a lot of pushback from immigration judges, from the um, United States Citizenship and Immigration Services, as well as the consulate. So um, we receive questions all the time from our clients um, regarding changes um, in current immigration policy. And so um, let's see here. And we, I, I would uh, like to point out quickly that, yes, policies are tightening up, but the law really has not changed mm -hmm. for the most part. And there are, are a lot of um, benefits, immigration benefits, that people can apply for and are eligible for, and maybe this kind mm -hmm. of heightened uh, attention to immigration mm -hmm. is pushing people to take that first step, you know, to make their status permanent and legal and no longer have that concern in the back of their mind. So in a way, I think it's positive what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. I agree. And a lot of people do ask me that. They ask, you know, what good is coming out of this? And, that, and that's exactly what I always reply is it's getting people to get out, to learn their rights and to um, seek a consultation with an immigration attorney so that they know what they can apply for and they know the risk involved and the advantages of, um, of seeking representation to, to help their immigration status. Um, 
Okay, so here's a question. It says, my sister is here from El Salvador and was picked up by immigration when she was trying to get here. She was being threatened by the gangs in El Salvador. Can she apply for asylum? So I'll go ahead and take that question. So I always tell people, anybody who has a bona fide fear of returning back to their home country can apply for asylum. Um, now, in order to obtain asylum here in the United States, we have to prove that you have been persecuted in your home country for a reason that's particular to you. So general gang violence usually is not going to be a winnable asylum claim because we have to prove that you are being targeted for a reason particular to you. And that reason has to be based on certain grounds within the Immigration Nationality Act, such as race, religion, nationality, particular social group, or a political opinion. So um, the answer, the short answer is yes. Anybody fearing return to their home country may apply for asylum. Also, you have to apply for asylum within the first year of entry. So when you enter the U.S., if your intent is to apply for asylum, you have a clicking, uh, ticking clock um, because you have one year from the date of your last entry to apply for asylum. That covers, I mean, there are exceptions mm -hmm. on occasion. Let's say you were here much longer than a year. You've never had a fear of return, but something new happens in your situation. A family member back home is murdered or you know, something changes that now makes you have a fear that you wouldn't have in the past. You can ask a judge to set aside that one-year requirement because of this extraordinary circumstance. And like Andrea said, Asylum is not easy to win. It's not enough that you're afraid or even in fear of your life where you come from. You have to fit within the parameters of asylum. However, if you have a true fear, there's no reason for you not to apply if that is your only way to seek some sort of remedy from immigration or in the courts. Um, very hard to win. No guarantee that you will win. But as long as you're claim to asylum is not frivolous, not something that you're doing simply to buy time, you absolutely have the right to pursue that claim. That is very true. Um, also something that I tell people who are interested in seeking asylum is um, um, the rate of approval here in Texas and in um, our area in general is um, very low. However, I don't say that to discourage you because we do receive a bunch of asylum applications here in the state of Texas. We've won asylum claims, mm -hmm. but you definitely want to make sure that you seek legal representation and make sure that your application is filed as complete as possible to ensure that you have the highest chance of winning because the odds are against you statistically. However, with good representation, you do have a much better chance of winning. That's very true. All right, so here's another question. It says, uh, my daughter wants to help me with my immigration papers. She's a citizen. My uncle filed papers for my mom when I, when I was little, and it was approved back in 1999. Will that help me get my papers faster? Absolutely. <laughs> That's called 245I, the protection that you would have gotten being included in that petition that was filed for your mother back before April 30th, 2001. If you've ever seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, I always call that that petition from before 2001, I call it the golden ticket because it can fix a lot of things that otherwise would prevent you from being able to immigrate. Uh, for example, if you were just trying to immigrate through your U.S. citizen child and you entered the country without inspection, there's no way to complete that case. Your daughter can start it and petition for you, and that petition get, can get approved. But when you have to go to the consulate 
in Mexico or wherever, wherever you may be from, you're going to get stuck there because you need a, a waiver of forgiveness for your time in the States without permission. And no, the daughter cannot ask for that waiver. Only your husband or your parents who have status as citizens or residents can do that. That 245I from that old petition that your aunt, I believe, filed for your mom, that golden ticket allows you to fix your papers here in the United States. And since you're not leaving, you don't need a waiver for forgiveness. Um, it's just a straightforward process. And while the case is pending, you will have a work permit. You can get a driver's license. You can get your social security. This is assuming, of course, that there are not other grounds of inadmissibility. But if you entered the country once, have never left, no criminal history, that's a very doable case. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that we do get a lot for um, people. They um, have consultations with us and they ask, okay, my child turns 21 in two months. Can that person petition for me? And I think something that's very important to understand and that a lot of people don't understand is that Having a child uh, be 21 years old isn't your anchor here in the United States. Um, it all hinges on how you entered the United States. So if you entered unlawfully into the United States or, uh, or without any type of uh, inspection into the United States, then you have to go through the consular processing route. You'll need a waiver that you may or may not qualify for. But if you have, like Patricia just described, uh, protection from an old petition that someone um, did for you or your parent, um, that might give you the ability to obtain your status here in the United States. But if you enter generally um, unlawfully, Unless you have the 245i protection, you're going to have to consular process and you may or may not be able to immigrate through your child who's 21. If you entered lawfully, so with, um, if you were inspected and admitted with, uh, some kind of legal document into the United States, then you will be able to, um, obtain your resident status here in the United States. So that's, that's the big question is how did you enter the U.S.? And then after that, it's, Okay, has anybody in your family ever filed any petitions for you, your parents, or anybody that might give you that ticket to be able to stay here in the United States? No, I would. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'd like to jump in with one sort of silver lining to that. Even if you don't have legal entry and you don't have that golden ticket of 245I, there is a benefit that a lot of people don't know about and don't access, and it's called military parole in place. This is something that can be applied for if you have a parent, child, or spouse who's military, active duty or not, even if it's just select reserves, because the government does not want that soldier or sailor to worry about the safety of his family for immigration reasons when he's deployed or doing his work for the country, they give this benefit that basically gives the person who gets the benefit the right to be here and it can be renewed year by year and it can also bring a work permit. But the other amazing thing that it does is it gives you legal entry when you get that benefit. They give you a, an I-94, which is just like what a person would get if they're entering the, the country from abroad. So that little piece of paper can make you eligible to file for a green card here in the States without leaving and without requiring a waiver. So it's a pretty amazing thing that I wish people would learn more about and access more. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. So we've got a question in Spanish. It says, a mí, uh, agarraron, a mí me agarraron usando papeles falsos y me deportaron. ¿Aún puedo arreglar papeles? Creo que me castigaron por 10 años. ¿Qué exactamente significa eso? So, um, okay. Entonces, 
todo depende en qué tipo de papel. Entonces, uh -huh. si lo agarraron con uh, documentos de un ciudadano, um, eso es algo que puede um, descalificar a usted de cualquier beneficio inmigratorio en el futuro. Porque cuando uno se presenta como ciudadano, cuando no es ciudadano, eso es un gran... Um, un, una gran, uh, gran ajá, pecadilla sí, en, en la ley de inmigración. Es una violación grande en la ley de inmigración y descalifica a uno um, de, de cualquier beneficio inmigratorio, desafortunadamente. Entonces, eso también aplica para personas que los agarran y que la persona manifiesta a el oficial diciendo, soy ciudadano. Entonces, um, entonces, si lo agarraron usando papeles de un ciudadano, entonces no va a tener la habilidad de, de emigrar legalmente a los Estados Unidos porque no hay un perdón para eso. Um, también, si le dieron un castigo de 10 años, eso significa que obtuvo una orden de deportación. Porque a veces cuando uno es agarrado en la frontera, solamente le dan un, un regreso voluntario. Pero si le dieron un castigo de 10 años, eso significa que usted tiene una orden de deportación y no puede solicitar un beneficio de inmigración por 10 años. Pero aún después de los 10 años, todavía va a tener el problema de que usó papeles de ciudadano. Si lo agarraron usando papeles de residente, residente o de otra persona que no sea ciudadano, o tal vez la visa de otra persona, tal vez podría calificar para un perdón. Pero, entonces, y también, uh -huh. como todo en la ley de inmigración, hay una excepción si, si tú has dicho que tú eres ciudadano a un oficial de inmigración, pero eso pasó antes de septiembre de oh. 1996 uh -huh, o 7, uh -huh, uh -huh. una fecha parecida a eso, hay una excepción y, y hay un... Perdón, yo creo por uh -huh. eso. Es como una mentira. No es un pecadillo fatal a tu, tu futuro de, en inmigración. So, es importante de saber exactamente qué pasó. Y una manera de encontrar esta información es meter un pedido a inmigración por tu archivo. Uh -huh. y, y pueden mandar toda la historia de exactamente qué presentaste, qué dijiste, todo, podemos usar tus huellas algunas veces uh -huh. de buscar estos archivos y con esta información posiblemente hay manera de ayudarte. Uh -huh. Okay, also, so the question was, um, uh, the person was asking, I was caught uh, at the uh, border with fake papers and they sent me back and they gave me a, um, a penalty of 10 years. Um, or a 10-year bar. And so the question was, what does that mean? And is there a way uh, if he can uh, obtain immigration status? And so uh, what, what we were explaining is when it depends on what kind of papers you were caught with at the border. Because if you were caught at the border with using a citizen, documents from a citizen, so a U.S. passport or a U.S. citizen's birth certificate, then that's kind of what Patricia was saying is like the unforgivable sin in immigration. If you make a false claim to citizenship, then um, there are no waivers for that and you will not qualify to obtain any immigration benefit in the future. So um, also uh, the person mentioned that when they were removed, um, they were given a 10-year bar or a 10-year penalty and he asked, what does that mean? Well, that means that you received a, a deportation order. So sometimes when people are caught at the border, um, 
they're allowed to, they're allowed the opportunity to um, withdraw their application for admission and they're allowed to take what's called a voluntary return, meaning you leave with no type of penalty. Um, however, if, if the officer tells you, okay, you now have a 10-year bar, then that means that you actually received a deportation order. And so um, what that means is that you will have a 10-year bar from being able to apply for any type of immigration benefit for 10 years. However, if you also made a false claim at the same time, even after the 10 years, you will never qualify uh, for an immigration benefit. So um, if you were caught with uh, maybe someone else's visa or a lawful permanent resident card or something like that, then you might qualify for a waiver um, of that. But and then uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say a funny side note to that. Let's say you were using someone else's visa and you actually made it into the United States with that visa and you weren't caught you actually have legal entry to the United States with that visa, and you can use that entry if you can prove it, and you're married to a U.S. citizen, for example, to apply for a green card, and you, mm -hmm. you can win your green card even though you entered with someone else's mm -hmm. documents. It's going to require a waiver of forgiveness for your misrepresentation, and you would get that by showing hardship to your U.S. citizen spouse. But it's funny because whenever I do consultations, people, I'll ask them, how did you enter? And they almost always say, well, Ill illegal. Mm -hmm. But what they think is illegal and what is actually illegal do not always match up. So mm -hmm. that's where the details are really important. And also back to that last question one of the details that's important, like we were saying, is yes, a false claim to citizenship is fatal to your immigration future, but it depends when it happened. If mm -hmm. it happened, I'm not, I can't remember the exact date at the moment, but I think it's around September 97. If it happened before that, then it's not fatal to you. The law mm -hmm. changed at that time. So mm -hmm. don't, don't hear me saying that's fatal and say, oh, that's it. I've, I've got yeah. no chance now because you may. It all depends on the details. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's why when people say, oh, I know immigration law is changing so much lately. And what you mentioned at the beginning, I mean, it's not really. Uh, there was a big change in 96. Mm -hmm. There was one in 2001. And there have been a few small changes, but the actual law has not changed a whole lot. It's just policies surrounding and the interpretation of the law. I know. <laughs> we've been, I've been practicing for 11 years, and I've been hearing, oh, immigration reform is coming soon ever since. Yeah. And I'm wondering when it's going to get here. Yeah. Um, okay, so Luis Torres, um, he says, uh, si alguien tiene una felonía y ya pasaron 15 años y terminó probación y está seal, um, puede aplicar para una residencia. Oh, oh, está sealed. So si tal vez um, the record fue sealed. Okay, so depende en el delito. O oh, no sé si... Um, uh -huh. Well, quiero saber la razón que mm -hmm. el archivo está cerrado, porque mm -hmm. es porque tú eres uh, juvenil, uh, menor de edad. Mm -hmm. Si eso es el caso, la mayoría del tiempo, un crimen que has cometido como juvenil, como joven, no va a afectarte cuando estás tratando de emigrar como adulto, porque mm -hmm. estos archivos están cerrados. Mm -hmm. So depende la razón que está cerrado. Y depende en, en el crimen, la, el delito, porque, porque recibiste esta convicción. Um, mm -hmm. Como dije, los detalles mm -hmm. hacen el caso y rompen el caso, so mm -hmm. depende. 
Sí, muchas personas me dicen, ah, oh, pero no tengo felonía, entonces estoy bien, pero, o oh, tengo felonía, entonces no califico para nada, pero eso no es el caso. Todo depende en cuál fue el delito, cuál fue su edad uh -huh. y las circunstancias. Entonces, um, sí, todo viene en los detalles. Um, okay, so um, the person was asking, um, I have a felony. Um, Is there a way, uh, but the record was sealed, is there a way uh, for me to immigrate to obtain resident status? And so um, I'll let you explain in English what you said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was just saying, well, it depends why the record is sealed. Was it sealed because you were a juvenile at the time? Because juvenile convictions do not affect you as an adult who's trying to immigrate, generally. Um, We were just saying everything depends on the details. So whether the state of Texas calls it a felony or a misdemeanor does not indicate how it's going to affect you immigration-wise. What matters is, you know, the category of um, crime, exactly what the penal code of Texas says the crime, the elements of the crime are, you know, what your part in it was, whether you were convicted, whether there was a plea agreement, all of that can come into it. It's very complicated. So if you have anything like that, you should definitely sit, talk to an attorney before you file for any immigration benefit. Um, and then someone asked, do you guys handle waivers? Um, yes, there are all kinds of different waivers um, uh, underneath immigration law. I think when people ask me that question in general, they're asking about what's known as the unlawful, the Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver, generally, I feel like I it's usually what people are asking about when they ask if we handle waivers. So what is that? So the Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver is a waiver um, for people who are immigrating through um, family, generally. Um, they're trying to immigrate through a spouse or a parent or a child. So what it is, is um, as we mentioned in the beginning, if you enter the country unlawfully or with no lawful papers or anything, You enter and you remain in the country, and then let's say years later you marry a U.S. citizen, um, and then from there the um, that person can immigrate you to the United States or help you obtain a lawful immigration status. So it's a three-step process for that citizen spouse to petition for you. So the first step is proving the relationship. So we send that off, and then the next step is um, since you entered the country unlawfully and have remained in the United States, when you it, As soon as you remain in the United States unlawfully past your 18th birthday for more than 180 days, if you leave the United States to process that visa through your spouse, you're going to get a three-year bar. If you remain in the U.S. past your 18th birthday for more than a year unlawfully present in the United States and you leave to process that visa, you're going to have a 10-year bar. So what happened in the past um, before 2012 when the Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver came into effect is you would have to leave the country, process your visa, and then wait outside of the country for that waiver because you have to prove that to immigration that your spouse would suffer extreme hardship if the waiver is not granted. And the waiver is to forgive that unlawful entry and the fact that you stayed um, uh, either six months or a year over um, unlawfully and then left. And so, um, so that's step two, and people would have to wait outside of the country for that waiver. Well, then guess what? Nobody wanted to do that because they didn't want to be separated from their family. So in 2000... And when we say wait, we mean six months or a year or longer outside yeah. the country. That's why it was so hard to yeah. comply with. So. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now the wait's almost two years. It's I quote people a year and a half to two mm -hmm. years if you have to leave. 
So it's not a small separation. It's a big family separation, and it prevents people who otherwise would be able to obtain a, a legal status from doing it. And so in 2012, they created the Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver, which says, hey, we're going to let you apply for the waiver in-country. That way you're not going to be separated from your family for six months to however long it takes um, for, for immigration to make a decision on uh, your waiver. So, yes, we handle those waivers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, they're an incredible tool for our clients, who, but they are only applicable to waive one sort of an admissibility ground, which is mm-hmm. unlawful presence. If you have other issues that require a waiver, you'll still have to go outside the country and spend that year or longer asking for that other kind of waiver. Mm-hmm. So certain criminal convictions, um, prior orders of removal, removal or deportation, those are things that would disqualify you from being able to apply for the waiver here in country. Um, all right. So we have the next question. It says, soy ciudadano y me preguntaba si puedo arreglar, si puedo arreglar los documentos a mi hijastra o debemos esperar a que mi esposa arregle sus papeles primero. So do you want to start on that one? Um, sure. Um, si tú uh, casaste con la mamá de tu hijastra antes de... De, uh, cumpleaños de, de 18 de tu hijastra, entonces sí, puedes aplicar por ella, puedes emigrarla. Y no tienes que esperar por arreglar su mamá para empezar el proceso por la niña. Um, y la niña, si tiene menos que 18 años, um, no va a requerir un perdón. So, si ella no entró legalmente, Tú puedes hacer, meter la petición cuando está aprobado, mándala al, al consulado en Ciudad Juárez si, eres de, si ella es de México y puede estar afuera 10 días, una mm-hmm. semana y regresar como residente. Y también algunas veces es más importante de aplicar por la niña porque mm-hmm. cuando ella cumple 21 años ya no es niña y va a estar en una línea de espera por 10 o 20 años esperando una visa. Pero cuando ella es menor de edad y no está casada, entonces es, es niña por, por la ley de inmigración y puedes emigrarla con visa inmediatamente si mm-hmm. tú eres ciudadano. Uh-huh. Entonces, normalmente recomendamos que sí, que, que meta la solicitud para su hijastra y que no esperen hasta que la esposa sea reciente. So, um, the question was, um, the question was, I'm a citizen and I was wondering if I can um, submit immigration documentation for my stepdaughter or do I need to wait until I um, obtain legal status for my wife first? So, so the answer mm-hmm. is, um, yes, of course you can. As long as you married the child's mother before the child turned 18, uh, for immigration purposes, that is your child as well. Um, and sometimes it's better to, if you have to allocate your resources and you can only do one case at a time, knowing also that if her mother entered without a visa, she will require a waiver. We're talking about a year and a half or two years wait from beginning mm-hmm. to end for your wife. Maybe better to start with your stepdaughter so that she doesn't age out. Because once she turns 21, she's an adult as for immigration purposes, and she will be waiting in line for a visa for 10 to 20 years herself. Mm-hmm. As long as you are able to immigrate her before she turns 21, she's considered to be a child as long as she remains unmarried. 
So yes, there's no, it's completely what, what the priority is in your particular case. You do not have to do one first before the other. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we have another question. It says, can I still apply for DACA? So that one, I, I, we do get that question a lot. Um, and the answer is, in one way, the answer is it depends. So um, immigration or USCIS, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, is not accepting new DACA applications. So DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And so this was something that was also passed in 2012 by the, uh, not passed, it was a policy that an was put in, order, yeah. uh, an executive order that was put in place by the Obama administration, um, granting deferred action, which is basically protection from being deported. I always picture it as they're taking your file and putting at the bottom of the stack of files and that you have uh, protection from being deported for two years. And in those two years, you can also have work authorization um, for certain uh, children uh, who are brought here as children and meet certain requirements and meet certain education requirements, meet certain physical presence requirements. So um, they are not accepting new DACA applications. However, if you previously had DACA and you need to renew it, you can renew your DACA application. Um, also, even if you previously had it and it expired, you could still renew it. We just can't do a brand new application for someone who never had DACA. Yes, and I, I, I'm hoping DACA does come back in some mm -hmm. form. Um, the White House has said they will sign it if the Congress can agree enough to take it there and get mm -hmm. it signed. Um, so we're just waiting for now. But uh, stay out of trouble. No DWIs. There are certain categories of crime that will make you ineligible for DACA, even if you meet all the other requirements. Mm -hmm. Also, I tell people, stay in school. <laughs> yes. Because so, if DACA comes back, you need to have uh, graduate be enrolled in school, in high school, or you need to have graduated high school. So, Although that does bring up something that, mm -hmm. I, uh, that frustrates me when I see uh, young people in my office who did not apply for the initial DACA, and now there is no no way to apply for it. They d could have qualified at the mm -hmm. time, but they never even went to see an attorney because they were told, uh, oh, you need to be in school, or you know, if they had dropped out of school. I've done successful DACA applications for people who, with, who are in GED class, mm -hmm. didn't even have their GED yet. As long as they were actively pursuing it, they, they were successful, and they, mm -hmm. they've been able to renew it every time since. So don't assume because you hear something on TV or because your friend told you that you don't qualify. Uh, please see a professional because you may. And if you don't do that, you could miss out on a big benefit for your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I do get a lot of people saying, oh, I wish I had applied. And a lot of people ask me even now because they get so desperate and, and I guess depressed by things that are in the news. They ask me, well, should I even try? And I'm always an advocate. If you qualify for something, you need to get that benefit because Kind of something that we learned in law school is it's much harder to take away something from someone mm -hmm. than it is to give it to them. So if they qualify for, if you qualify for something, I'm an advocate of going ahead and going for it and getting that protection while you can. Well, um, and on that note, mm -hmm. I tell my clients to not watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> the news is really, you know, trying to drive ratings by scaring people. People come in and they have a very you know, they're very worried about something they heard. Uh, oh, I hear they're deporting people who applied for green card. Don't believe that. I mean, it's a sensationalized headline to try and get your attention. Or mm -hmm. at least, hey, come and see me and see yeah. if it's true. So. Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay, let's see here. Okay. Uh, soy ciudadano y mi esposa está embarazada y ella vive en México. ¿Qué necesito hacer uh, para obtener la ciudadanía para el bebé? Um, entonces, generalmente, todo depende, pero generalmente um, um, hay varias leyes que aplican. Entonces, um, generalmente uno tiene que pedir lo que se llama, oh, a ver cómo decirlo en español, pero es un reporte consular del nacimiento. Entonces, en inglés es un consular report of birth. Entonces, uno tiene que solicitar eso del consulado en el país donde vive. Um, ahora, no para calificar, obtener ese reporte, uno tiene que comprobar uh, ciertas cosas. Y uh, depende en cuándo nació el bebé y depende si la pareja estaban casados legalmente, totalmente, por civil y por la iglesia. O oh, perdón, por civil es, es lo que importa. Um, y el padre va a tener que comprobar um, uh, que ha residido en los Estados Unidos por un cierto tiempo. Entonces necesitamos pruebas de su presencia en los Estados Unidos por un cierto tiempo antes de que um, uh, naciera el bebé. Entonces es posible, um, eh, pero debe consultar con un abogado para asegurar que, que podemos, porque hay un gráfico y que le dice qué requisitos uno tiene que uh, completar para poder uh, pedir ese, ese reporte del consulado para comprobar la ciudadanía de su bebé. Sí, no, okay. no nada más. Es ok, <laughs> so let's see here. Um, so just quickly, um, he was asking, um, my wife is pregnant, I'm a U.S. citizen, and uh, will the baby, uh, the wife lives outside of the country, so will the baby automatically become a citizen? And the answer is most likely yes, and in order to prove that, you have to um, uh, apply for a consular report of birth abroad, and so that's kind of like your birth certificate proving that you're a U.S. citizen, but before you apply for that and, or together with the application, we have to submit certain evidence showing that you actually the baby actually acquired citizenship through you. So um, you should just have a consultation with an attorney so we can verify everything, make sure that um, you submit all the documentation necessary to prove that that baby did acquire citizenship through you. We've been taking a lot of questions from people who are U.S. citizens, and a lot of our examples have been about um, U.S. citizens applying for family members. And I just want to say, you, if you're a resident, you can also apply for family members. If you're a lawful permanent resident, you can apply to immigrate your spouse or your unmarried children. If, if you are immigrating or applying for your spouse, your minor children will be included in that petition with their mom or dad. Mm -hmm. um, if they're adults, they'll need their own their petition after age 21. Or if they get married, that will just make it impossible for you to file for them. But you can do it. The wait is only about two years for visas to become available. That's the big difference between a citizen applying for their spouse and a resident applying for their spouse. The citizen has visas available immediately for their spouse, and they can make the immigrate immigration journey much quicker. The spouse of the resident is going to have to wait in line for a couple of years till there are visas and then complete the process. But um, at the same time, if you're a resident, perhaps you have a way to naturalize. Maybe you're eligible to become a citizen yourself right now, and that could speed up the process for your family member. And also another advantage of becoming a citizen is that you can immigrate your siblings your parents, and your married children. Residents are not allowed mm -hmm. to uh, immigrate those three categories. So mm -hmm. 
maybe we can do a case for you and your spouse. So mm -hmm. you can become a citizen while that spouse's petition is pending. And if mm -hmm. you do become a citizen, that we can move their petition to the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And something, a question I got today, someone was asking me, well, <clears throat> if I'm a resident and then I petition for my spouse and then he's a resident, is it okay for both residents at the same time? And I said, yes, of course. You guys can both be residents at the t same time because she was wondering, well, do I have to become a citizen first before I petition for him? And so I was explaining to her that, no, that's not required. Um, and, yes, you guys can both be residents at the yes. same time. Um, let's see here. So someone's asking, ¿cuándo cuesta la consulta? La primera consulta es gratuita, no cobramos. Um, and uh, las, eh, cuando uno viene para la consulta, siempre asesoramos su caso explicamos cuánto cobramos nosotros en honorarios y también explicamos uh, cuánto cobra el gobierno por presentar la solicitud. Entonces, les vamos a decir exactamente cuánto uh, va a costar todo. Y uh, antes de eso, también le, le vamos a aconsejar si tiene un caso o no. Porque algunas personas no tienen manera de emigrar a los Estados Unidos. Entonces, nosotros um, le vamos a, a decir si tiene un caso, esto es lo que podemos hacer, o no, no, no hay nada desafortunadamente que podemos hacer por usted. Um, entonces, y siempre le damos todos los costos uh, al inicio. También ofrecemos planes de pago. Entonces, um, si no tiene todo el dinero para los honorarios en un solo, uh, está bien, uh, podemos hacer un plan de pagos. Um, y junto con eso, alguien preguntó, uh, ¿qué número puedo llamar para hacer una uh, consulta gratuita? Entonces, el número que pueden llamar es 844-402-2992. O pueden ir al sitio de web uh, también. Um, el sitio de web es um, thetexasattorney.com. So someone was asking how much mm -hmm. a consultation costs. And so our uh, consultations are free. Um, you can call our call center. Uh, you can go to our website at thetexasattorney.com um, and schedule a consultation there. Um, or you can call, and when you go to the website, they have the number up there too, but the number from the website is 844-402-2992. So in the consultation, we will explain to you, uh, what, first of all, whether or not you have a case, um, because some people come and don't qualify for any type of immigration benefit. And we'll let you know that if that's the case. Um, if you do have a case and you do qualify to apply for some kind of immigration benefit, then uh, we will map out what our attorney's fees are. We'll map out what the government fees are to present the application. And we'll also tell you how what the wait times are and, and all of that so that you're prepared to make a, a decision regarding uh, uh, whether or not you'd like to um, open a case with us. Um, also, um, we offer payment plans, so if you're not able to pay all of the attorney's fees at once, then we can set up a payment plan as well. And please, if you do come for a consult, we'd love to see you. Um, please bring any immigration documents you may have from the past. If you can find that old application that a, an aunt or uncle filed for your mom or dad, um, anything that will help us analyze your case uh, in the in the consultation rather than having to come back and research more information would be great um, and sometimes as Andrea said sometimes there isn't a way for a particular person to immigrate at, at this moment in time either the law needs to change or their situation needs to change to give them an avenue but I don't want anyone to think if they don't have that avenue that 
that they are in danger of just being picked up and deported the next day. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone has rights. Uh, we'll assess your rights if you are, if the worst does happen. If you are um, arrested or placed in immigration custody, you have a right to see an immigration judge. So we need to uh, evaluate your history and see if you have a right to fight that case. Sometimes you have a way to fight an immigration case that we don't want to get there until you're placed in deportation proceedings, but it, you can't use those things now to help yourself, but it doesn't mean you can't help them in the future or they can't help you in the future. Exactly. Um, okay. Okay, so here is a question. It says, Escuché que había alguna manera de obtener una extensión para ser deportado si tiene hijos que nacieron aquí. Eso es uh, uh, más o menos uh, lo que lo que iba a explicar uh, Patricia, que para, um, ok, obtener una residencia aquí en los Estados Unidos basado solamente en el tiempo que uno lleva aquí y el hecho que tiene niños aquí, um, no hay manera de, de obtener una residencia Um, uh, basado solamente en eso. Pero, en frente de un juez de inmigración, si, si usted fuera a ser detenido y si fueran a, a ponerle en procedimientos de deportación, en frente de un juez de inmigración hay otras opciones disponibles um, que uh, le pueden proteger de la deportación. Entonces, una opción es lo que se llama la cancelación de expulsión o la cancelación de removación o deportación. Entonces, para esa solicitud uh, o petición uh, del juez de inmigración, uh, uno tiene que enseñar que lleva 10 años o más aquí en el país um, y que um, es una persona de buena conducta moral. También tenemos que evaluar sus antecedentes penales para asegurar que no ha cometido un delito que lo, lo descalifica, uh, lo descalifique del beneficio. Um, y tenemos que enseñar que tiene eh, esposo o esposa, padres o hijos ciudadanos o residentes y que ellos sufrirían extremadamente y afuera de lo extraordinario si fueran a, a deportar a usted. Entonces, um, eso es un beneficio que uno solamente puede pedir en procedimientos de deportación. Y yo siempre digo... Yo no estoy recomendando que las personas se entreguen a inmigración. Jamás no. eh, eh, quisieran hacer eso. Pero si fueran a, a ser detenidos, uh, no deben firmar una orden para la salida voluntaria hasta que hayan hablado con un, un abogado de inmigración para asegurar que um, no, es, no va a perder su derecho de pedir un beneficio del juez. Y otra uh -huh. razón de no firmar y salir sin ver al juez es si tú salgas y regresas ilegal de nuevo, uh -huh. probablemente has matado tu futuro de inmigración porque ahora tienes algo que se llama castigo permanente. Y eso aplica a personas que entran en el país ilegal, están aquí un año más, salgan y regresen ilegal. Uh -huh. Ahora no hay manera de arreglar esta situación aparte de mandar uh, estar afuera del país por 10 años. Uh -huh. So, um, mucha gente han perdido su manera de arreglar porque han firmado y salido porque uh -huh. parecía como la cosa más fácil de hacer en el momento. Pero yo no aviso uh -huh. que nadie firma antes de ver un abogado y el juez. Uh -huh. So the question was, uh, somebody said that I heard that there was some kind of 
waiver or pardon for people who have um, been in the U.S. for a long time and who have kids who are U.S. citizens or residents. And I get that question. A lot of people ask me, wait, will they deport someone who has kids who are U.S. citizens? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, I was explaining that there's no outside of deportation or removal proceedings. There's no waiver. There's no way for someone to apply for resident status just because they've been here a long time and just because they have, I always say, 10 U.S. citizen kids, uh, minor children. Um, so there's nothing that that person can do generally um, uh, outside of deportation proceedings. But what we are explaining is it's always important to have a consultation with an immigration attorney because even if there's nothing we can apply for you now, we talk about the options. Okay, what happens if you are detained? What happens then? And so in deportation proceedings or removal proceedings, it, there are other options available in front of an immigration judge. So um, one of those options is called cancellation of removal and uh, for non-permanent residents. So these are for people who enter the country unlawfully and have remained here for a long time. And then for whatever reason, they're detained by immigration. So um, if you can prove that you've been in the United States uh, for at least 10 years um, and you can prove that you are a person of good moral character And as long as you haven't committed certain crimes that disqualify you, um, if you have a spouse, parent, or a child who's a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident, and we can prove to the judge that that person would suffer uh, exceptional and extremely unusual hardship if you were to be deported, then um, you um, could win uh, resident status from the judge um, applying for cancellation of removal. So it's a type of removal defense or a defense from deportation. And the other side that I uh, interjected a second ago was that it may seem like the easy thing in the moment if a person is detained to sign the voluntary return and just go back where they came from but and then come back again illegally shortly thereafter to rejoin their family. In reality, you may have just killed your future chances of immigration for at least 10 years if you do that because the person who enters the U.S. illegally is here at least a year without permission, leaves and comes back again illegally, has now got something called the permanent bar. The permanent bar is 10 years, and it can only be cured by spending those 10 years outside of the United States. There is no waiver for it. Um, And I've seen a lot of family men who got picked up, you know, uh, on their way to work or something. They sign that thing and they leave and come back. And now their their U.S. citizen son is 21, but he can't do anything for his dad now because of that return and come back and now the permanent bar. Mm -hmm. So please do not sign a voluntary return before speaking to an immigration attorney um, because you may lose options that could help you in the future otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so uh, something else that has been coming up a lot is um, people asking, uh, does my, we'll get calls, my cousin has been detained and now he's in Alvarado. So in um, this area, there are a couple of detention centers. One is in Alvarado, Texas. It's called Prairie Lane Detention Center. And one is in Cleburne, Texas. It's the Johnson County um, Detention Center. So, um, when someone has any type of encounter with law enforcement um, for any reason, um, then that law enforcement, what law enforcement officers are doing now is um, 
depending on the circumstances, they'll ask that person, you know, well, a natural question is, do you have a driver's license? Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have a driver's license, then they could ask why. And um, so anyway, one thing can lead to another and you, that officer can wind up um, calling immigration on you. So majority of the time we see people get what are called ice holds um, after they've committed some type of uh, criminal offense. And I always say more times than not, it's for a DWI. So that's why I always tell my clients, no drinking ever. <laughs> Just don't do it. Um, and avoid driving if possible. Exactly. Even if you're not drinking. Yes. And um, and again, you, you know, you see people that are family men and women and, you know, they get arrested for a DWI. And um, now they're, they're stuck in immigration with an ice hold. So then their family's calling, asking, do they qualify for a bond? What do we do? What's the process? So the process, if you are arrested and um, they place what's called an ice hold on you or an ice detainer on you, what that means is they're holding you um, in custody until immigration can come and make a decision as to whether or not they're going to transfer you to immigration custody or whether or not they'll release you. Back in the old days, there used to actually be a possibility that you might get released. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen anymore. Pretty much if you have an ICE hold, you're going to get transferred to ICE uh, immigration custody. Custody. So ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. They're like the immigration police. And so what happens, so say I get arrested for a DWI. I'm uh, undocumented. So they're going to arrest me. They're going to put me in, in jail. And then the next question is, you know, I'll be issued a criminal bond for my criminal offense of DWI. And so people always ask, should I pay it or should I not pay the bond? And so we always recommend if you have an ice hold, which they'll tell you if you have an ice hold, don't pay the bond. Because what happens is as soon as you pay the bond, you're going to get transferred over to immigration's uh, custody. But you still have this outstanding DWI hanging out that you haven't taken care of yet. And so anytime you get transferred over to immigration custody, we want to make sure that all of your criminal issues have been taken care of generally, um, because a lot of times if you apply for certain benefits, the judge or whoever doesn't want to grant that until they know what the outcome uh, is of all of your criminal incidents. So the first thing is don't pay the criminal bond um, or the best advice is not to pay the criminal bond is um if you have an ice hold, you should sit out whatever penalty you have, and then um, and then they'll transfer you to ICE custody. And then from there, ICE will make a determination as to whether or not they're going to grant you an immigration bond. And so whether or not they're going to give you an immigration bond is, um, is a determination that they do on a case-by-case -case basis based on your criminal history, your immigration history, and all of that. The minimum ICE bond is $1,500. Some people don't qualify for a bond at all. Um, some people are subject to what's called mandatory detention. And, um, and so that's why if anybody <laughs> is transferred to ICE custody, you should have a consultation with an immigration attorney because we have to go over all of this with the family to make sure that you make the best decision. And then the next most important thing is make sure that the person doesn't sign a voluntary departure right away. Now, after a consultation and all that, depending on the case, sometimes that is the best situation so that you can then depart the country and then maybe process an application through another means. Um, to avoid obtaining a deportation order. But a lot of times it's, it's not the best option because you could also, 
while for some it's the best option, for others it could completely kill your immigration case. I've had people who we've had open cases here, and then the person, their spouse or whoever gets detained, and they sign a voluntary departure, and then they just kill their possibilities to immigrate to the U.S., um, so that's the process in general if you get detained. Um, from uh, the time you get put into ICE custody, you'll also be scheduled to go see an immigration judge. And so we're kind of working on a bunch of different fronts on whether or not you have a bond. And then we're also strategizing what are we going to say in front of the immigration judge in court. So. Yes, it's very complicated, mm -hmm. if you couldn't tell already. <laughs> I know, right? And it's very case-specific to what the facts are of your case. Um, the bottom line is don't give up your rights without the knowledge until uh, um, you can make an informed decision. Right. So we've got a question here. It says, si tienes la ciudadanía, aún te pueden quitar tus papeles si te metas en algún problema legal. I'll go ahead and let you answer that since I just got done. Tell me the question again. Oh, okay. Si tienes la ciudadanía, aún te pueden quitar tus papeles si te metes en algún problema legal. O sea, El momento que tú eres ciudadano, tú eres ciudadano por siempre. Aparte de la posibilidad que has mentido sobre algo en tu petición mm -hmm. por ciudadanía o recibiste tu residencia por un razón fraudulente o fue un error, por ejemplo. Pero si todo estaba bien hecho en las aplicaciones y has arreglado a ciudadano legalmente sin, sin duda, pues no, tú eres uh, ciudadano y no pueden hacer nada más que um, ponerte de pagar tus impuestos. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I was just saying that if you are a citizen, you are a citizen and you do not have to worry about those immigration or criminal issues affecting your ability to live in the United States any longer. The only uh, exception would be if there was fraud in your residence application or fraud in your citizenship application, um, they could rescind citizenship from you. I, I would really have hardly ever heard of a case of that, but that is possible mm -hmm. to do. Um, that's why they ask you those questions on the citizenship application that no one would say yes to if they were true. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, are you a spy? Are you a terrorist? Mm -hmm. um, but if you say no to those and they find out later that you actually are, then they could use that for grounds to denaturalize you, rescind your citizenship. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because for a lot of people who have immigrated to the U.S. and then um, naturalized, a lot of times um, I've seen people threaten them and say, well, I'm going to call immigration so they take away your citizenship. And then, of course, the news, um, I've seen in the news a lot of stories of, uh, you know, uh, people um, commencing denaturalization proceedings for certain people for this and that reason. And it is extremely rare. Um, but um, don't don't. Be, don't let people threaten you with your citizenship because like Patricia said, the only way they can take it away from you is if you did commit some kind of fraud in the underlying application. But if you did everything correctly and everything was, um, done legally, um, then you're fine. Once you're a citizen, you're a citizen. And on that note, I would like to also mention uh, the Child Citizenship Act, mm -hmm. which uh, we were talking about uh, a resident or a citizen immigrating a, a child, a minor child. Um, by the Child Citizenship Act, 
the minute that child becomes a resident and one of the parents who has legal and physical custody of the child is either a citizen or becomes a citizen, the child is automatically a citizen too. They don't even have to take any affirmative action to become citizens. They just mm -hmm. are by operation of law. They can go get a U.S. passport or they can apply for their certificate of mm -hmm. citizenship, which we can help with. Mm -hmm. I think it is so important to know that um, and to especially for a young man who may be a resident that maybe is hanging around the wrong crowd and gets in trouble because his friend is doing something he shouldn't be doing. Uh, your residence can be taken away from you. Mm -hmm. um, you need to be careful uh, who you associate with and your activities, but um, become a citizen as quickly as possible to avoid that possibility. Mm -hmm. um, okay, one last question and then we're uh going to wrap it up. Um, it says, I was assaulted by someone at a gas station and someone told me about a U visa. What do I need to qualify for that? So um, for a U visa, that is a status that's available for um, certain victims of crime committed here in the United States. So the crime have to, has to have been committed here in the United States. And there's a list of crime, of qualifying crimes. The most common ones that we see are going to be domestic violence, aggravated assault, uh, like armed robbery, um, uh, sexual assault. Those, so if you're, if you're undocumented here in the United States and you or your minor children, even if your children are U.S. citizens, if you or your minor children have been a victim of one of those crimes, you could qualify for U non-immigrant status, which basically gives you protection from being deported for four years. Um, but then after three years of having the U visa, then you can apply for lawful permanent resident status. So it basically opens up a doorway for you to obtain lawful status. The big, um, issue with that is there's a limit every year and so there's a long line to obtain the U visa but it's such a great uh, remedy for someone who maybe has nothing else um, available but you know this horrible incident has happened to you it may open up a doorway for resident status. Absolutely. Congress created it because they felt that it was more important that people who have no immigration status feel brave enough to report criminal activity than that they don't report it and the bad guys get to stay free just because that person is afraid of their own, you know, lack of immigration status. Mm -hmm. So, All right. Well, I believe that we've answered all of the questions. And so um, I want to thank you guys for joining us today um, on this Facebook Live event. Also, I'd like to ask you guys to like our page and to follow us as well here at Bailey and Galleon. And again, if you would like a free consultation with uh, me or Patricia, feel free to visit us at thetexasattorney.com. And you can call 844-402-2992 for a free consultation. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you for spending an hour with us. We've enjoyed it. <laughs>